Welcome to Brand New Doctor with me, Wella Kerojo, doctor turned brand strategist and graphic designer for health and wellness. Each episode, I speak to inspiring doctors and dentists with successful personal brands and industry experts and share insights with you on everything they don't teach you in medical and dental school, on how to succeed and make a lasting impact. Your success story has already begun, but life doesn't hand out pass marks. So this is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. Sometimes, when we ask for advice, we are really asking for someone to tell us what we already know. But the real gems are often unexpected and help us to think in a totally different way. Advice like this might help you to reach a goal faster, redefine your vision and make a bigger impact, or in my case, turn your dream on its head and help you begin where you want to end up. This is a special episode because I'll be speaking with the person who gave me the spark which led me to start this podcast sooner than I thought possible. Chike Ediputa is a digital strategy and transformation consultant. To put this simply, this means he helps businesses to use technology to improve the way they work for the better. His work is about making a change and making that change stick. Chike has seen that the tried and tested methods he's used in projects for healthcare and for major global companies can be applied in so many different ways. And if your life and your career are your biggest projects, I'm sure you would want to have some inside knowledge on how to overcome the most common challenges to reaching goals. Where to find not just good ideas, but great ones. And how to future-proof your career and become a decision maker in healthcare in the wake of new disruptive technologies. So, let's talk about transformation with an expert. When we first met, I knew I wanted to grow an audience and I wanted to speak to them about how we can design and how we can essentially do healthcare differently. I just wasn't sure how to. And I thought I needed to have all the experience in design and my own business before I could speak up publicly in any kind of way. And you just gave me the advice to be led by my curiosity and encourage me to start conversations. And so here I am today with my podcast. So first of all, I just wanted to say a big thank you for that for all of your inspiration and your guidance. And I really wanted to pick your brain because each time we speak and I tell you how I'm doing, what I'm working on, you have this way of shifting my perspective and helping me to think about tackling my goals in a new kind of way. And it seems to me that you do this for a living because the way you think is essential to your role as a digital transformation expert. So could you explain a little bit more for the audience what this means exactly? Sure. And and again, you know, thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> I, I, 
I think it's it's a I need to say congrats to you on the podcast as well because very very often it, it's always quite a challenge where there's so many ideas right but actually taking the first step is is what really matters and you certainly have so yeah you thank know. you so yeah what what do I do for a living it's broad in terms of a digital strategy and transformation consultant. But at the same time, you know, effectively, I would say, you know, when, when, when I engage clients, it's typically the same, very similar process, you know, as in healthcare, when you go see your general practitioner or your consultant. Very similar. However, the, the topics that we address are, of course, you know, different. So if, if you use that analogy of my patients are companies and very senior people in, in very complex, large organizations, we do follow exactly the same process, right? So on consulting, going from listening and understanding what the challenges of the client is through to helping them and guiding them in terms of making key decisions that would have significance on, you know, their, their business. And, and so that's why, and, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy what I do for a living, because I'm always in, in scenarios where change is, is required and, and very often gently because something has gone wrong, particularly, and that's the digital element of it, particularly the problems I, I tend to work with clients on have a digital technology in, you know, components to that, which more and more these days seems to be very, you know, everywhere essentially. So technology drives and feeds the world. So which makes my job even more interesting because the, the scope of problems that I get to, to address is, is even broader. I think of you as a change maker. It's like a professional change maker. And, and so I, I'm really curious to know from you, what is it that you have learned from your role that you've been able to apply to your life to make a change, whether that's habits or personal goals you've wanted to reach? Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting one because, and, and one that you would think would naturally come to, to, to you, but it did take time for me actually. So I, I, I believe probably about six years ago, having been in my career for a couple of years, I kind of came to this understanding or, or realization that we're going to clients. Um, we have kind of proven methods, essentially, and proven frameworks to help organize how you think around, you know, change. And yeah, only six years ago did I think, hang on a second, if I think of myself as a company, how can I apply some of those proven, you know, tools, tips, and uh, and actually consult myself. Um, so I, I went on that journey. And, and it's very interesting when you apply similar um, concepts to yourself, you can start to understand the complexities of, of, a, of, of companies as well as how complex we are as human beings. And, and you know, so there, there are different experiments I say I, I run on myself. However, Probably best example to give is, I don't know if you're familiar with Cutter's change cycle. I think so. I think I, I think I know where you're going with this. So, so Cutter essentially is kind of developed this framework. It's eight steps in terms of thinking about change. And, and so if I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of walk through that eight step model and how it applies to me in person. And so the, the very first step is around, you know, creating a sense of urgency. And it's interesting because 
take the, the simple thing of, you know, if I'm a company, one of the elements of my company is my, what I call my CFO, which is my, my chief financial officer, which is how I manage my money, essentially. And with every company, you know, you want to set financial goals and financial objectives. However, those financial goals and objectives tend to be, you look at what you have today, you're like, hmm, how, how do I reduce my cost often? But creating a sense of urgency for me was like, actually, what if I set a target, you know, of increasing my revenue? Or what if I set a target about how much I want my my cost to be, but in such a way that it's going to be materially important to me um, for the upcoming year, as an example. And I go through that, you know, particular reflection to create that sense of urgency to me. If I don't do this, there's going to be a significant impact, negative impact for me. And so that makes that change very, very real from the get-go. The the second step in the in the cycle really is around forming a team so once once you're very clear on you know and i'll use the financial perspective as an example let's say you know i want to reduce my travel costs by x percent because you know i want to find out to cycle more whatever that may be the second is around forming a team and so that team could be key people in your life or friends or acquaintances that have us that can help you on that journey of change so these are People who either, you know, if you want to take up cycling, for example, as an alternative way to work to therefore reduce your travel costs, you may want to join a cycling co- a club. So that could be your, your, your team to help you reinforce that goal and also that urgency that you've created to change. Or your team could be, you know, your significant other who is always, you know, maybe your, your, your parents or your friends who's always calling you every week uh, to tell you, how is this going? And and so practically, you know, I do this for myself. When I have a clear goal that I want to achieve, I, I identify someone in my network and I'm like, for the next six months, anytime we speak, just ask me about this one thing. And so that, that creates that recurring, you know, support essentially around you to, to keep it top of mind. Okay. Like accountability as well. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so the, the, the third one, and it's, it's, it's really interesting, is around vision. Now we, we're in a world where, you know, with the, with the I, I would say, information overload. So, and with information overload comes lots and lots and lots of ideas. Um, however, it, it comes with, you know, lots of ideas reduces the ability for people to actually create a very clear vision. And so you, and I, it happens with a lot of friends, my clients, yeah. even myself as well. If I want to reduce, I've mentioned this example, I want to reduce my travel costs. I'm going to cycle. Many people just stop at that and think that's okay. Uh, or creating a very clear, concrete vision could be, I'm going to cycle. Yeah, and there's a smart model, right, that you could use to also test this. Is I'm going to, you know, maybe cycle two times a week to start off with. And then after six months, three times a week or a certain distance. And so making that as specific as possible shows that you have something that tangibly you can actually in improving and, and fixing as well. Okay. Something, a, a clear, like you say, a vision of where you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. 
exactly. And it has to be as, as crystal clear as, as possible. Right. I always call it uh, my mind's eye. Okay. If you can see and you can almost visualize yourself mm. in a target state, it's very, very difficult to get to that target state. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the vaguer your vision, the less likely you're going to achieve. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, and, and then the next one, so on, on Cotter's eighth step is around getting buy-in. Now, and so it's, it's, int- it's an interesting one. So getting buy-in might make more sense for a company where you have lots of different stakeholders to get involved. But again, if you, if you take that same logic and apply it to yourself, getting mm. buy-in for me personally means actually I do have other competing elements of things that you either want to do. For example, you know, you, you may at the start of the year think of a New Year's resolution of you want to do something. And and then, you know, your family may introduce actually another thing that you have to do. And then there are all these okay. peripheral things that you have to do. Getting buying with yourself is how much of those other things can you reduce the attention on to really emphasize this one goal that you're really focusing on achieving. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you say yes to something, you have to say no to other things, right? Exactly. Mm. And again, you know, these are, these are really blockers in people achieving um, their goals because very often you have lots of people who say yes and yes and yes and yes. And, and, uh, um, the list of to do's. I don't know if you've ever had this challenge. There's a there's a challenge in in agile world as well. Is can you ever get to a zero to do list? <laughs> Which for many people is is also near impossible. It's, so, it's a white whale. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But how much can you you know emphasize that one thing on your to do list mm-hmm. as opposed to the fifty other things that are seemingly as important? Yeah. So, that's what, what I mean by getting buying with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had this. I had this idea of a not to do list. Actually, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually I tried it today. Actually, <laughs> I wrote down things not to kind of not to do so that I wouldn't divide my attention too much, and it helped. Yeah, it's good to be intentional about those things as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think another thing it pushes you to do is to take make choices. Right. Mm-hmm. And so strategy, what strategy all about? Strategy is all about making choices. And very often, if you listen carefully to lots of organizations, they always say, this is what we do. Yeah. When they say, this is not what we do. <laughs> and so your point there is absolutely, is absolutely key. The, the next step is then around taking action essentially, or empowering yourself to take action. So you, you've made it, this this goal you're trying to achieve urgent. You've got people to support you and continually remind you. You've then, you know, created and dimmed out the other goals, essentially, that you're trying to achieve to make sure this takes prominence. But then you actually have to start and actually take an action towards achieving that goal. Very often, many people get to the point, but they never actually take action, you know, and, and that be for many reasons, but very often tends to be because they haven't had that conversation with themselves to get the buy-in to actually suppress others mm-hmm. and, and emphasize this, or they don't know what the first step might be. So you get into planning paralysis. And by taking action, 
how I always, I always advise both, you know, clients, but also myself is what is the one thing that you can do within a very, very short period of time that can be completed from start to finish. So in this example around, you know, reducing my travel costs because I want to cycle more, taking action for me might actually mean putting my bicycle in front of my door. So before I leave, you know, it's such a micro simple action. However, it's there. Physically in my environment, I can't, you know, miss that there's a bike blocking my exit in the yeah. morning. And, and so it might seem like a very tiny action. However, it sets you up in terms of the next action that you would take, which is actually maybe removing the bike from the way. And you've consciously told your brain, okay, I'm not going to do this today. Uh, yeah. But the next day, remember to keep that bike again in front of your door. Mm-hmm. Because you start to challenge yourself closer towards that goal you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't, don't think about the, the biggest material action that needs to happen for me to tick the box of, yes, I have cycled for day one instead of using the train or, or, or the taxi, but rather, you know, the fact of me putting the bicycle in my way, creating an obstruction is a good tick because mm-hmm. you've made that very minimal step closer towards your goal. Yeah. And you're forcing a decision as well, right? Because to exactly. move it back, you you actively have to decide, I'm not going to ride my bike, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, the, the next step essentially is, a, is around short-term. And this, it's crazy, actually, how many people do not do this. So I'm, I'm one for, I celebrate my birthday every single year unfailingly. I believe in the value of life, right? Every single day is a blessing. Every, every morning I celebrate waking up. And so with small actions, I celebrate them as well. And it goes beyond kind of ticking something off on a to-do list, but genuine celebration. So very often I would reach out proactively to, you know, the people who are supporting me to achieve this goal and inform them that, wow, guess what? I've, I've, I've got uh, this, this, uh, I've, I actually took my bike and used it <laughs> rather nice. than train. So it also reinforces that communication cycle between, oh, okay, he's doing it. So mm-hmm. I need to remind him again of how's that getting? And I, and it became, becomes a, a conversation point. So celebrating, you know, those micro steps that you're taking towards that goal, it's really important. And celebration goes beyond just saying, yep, I did it. Yeah. Involve people in celebration, same way as you would involve people in celebrating your, your birthday. It doesn't have to be the whole world. It could be, you know, your, your close friends, particularly your goal support network. And I think, you know, and I, I would like to see more of this happen. But social media, social media is so powerful in celebrating micro wins. So definitely use that as a tool as well for that. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. I like this idea that you are consciously you're tracking how you're doing in celebrating and yeah you're giving yourself a bit of dopamine which isn't just about reward but it's also about knowing that you're on the right track and just stimulating you to do continue doing what you're doing it's great exactly and look at it as as likes and retweets in the human in the human form yes (laughs) (laughs) i love that life imitates art and then art imitates life and exactly. we go round and round. <laughs> exactly. exactly. 
so yeah, the, the penultimate step essentially in this eight steps is around not letting up. And so this is around essentially cost consistency. Now you, you probably, you know, have done all the, all the, all the six steps you're celebrating the small wins, but it's actually very, very difficult to continue and maintain momentum. And and so this is where, similar to someone who is running a marathon, similar to someone who goes, I, I love going hiking, so I love climbing things and mountains particularly. It's, it gets to a point where you're like, oh, actually there's, there's a resistance. So it's, you know, being consciously aware that at some point in time, there will be mm-hmm. a resistance and okay. being ready to then address that resistance once it comes. So it, it's not as simple as, you know, just, hey, tough, just push through, but rather, you know, being aware there's, there's a book, The Chimp's Paradox, right? And mm-hmm. is that constant battle in your head that yeah. in the chimp brain and, and our more developed brain? The computer. Exactly. Yeah. So it's once we get into that rhythm of the early stages of our goals and what we're trying to achieve, um, it's definitely important to kind of listen to yourself, right? And then once you're feeling that you're getting to that point where actually there's some resistance in continuing to move forward, go back again to refresh yourself on why am I doing this, right? So what's the urgency for it? If that's still the case, and if that's not still the case, then that mountain becomes even more difficult, right? Or you have it's not urgent enough for you. So that's that's definitely something to to keep in mind. For me personally, I I, I have different techniques that I, I go to to try and get over the hump. Um, so what one of them that that really works for me is to really kind of get especially my my network meet in person where possible and then reinforce why I'm why I'm doing this almost repitch it to them why I'm back on on this on this goal and and get them to challenge my thinking as well because that dialogue really helps me to say yep there's still value in this and there's still value in moving ahead exactly exactly Exactly. And yeah, the, the final aspect is then around, and the final step in, in Cotter's model is around making change stick. And what, and what that really speaks to is, so very often when people set goals, you know, there's a start date and an end date. Making something stick is what happens after the end date. And, and so very, you know, in this example, I may have at the start in making my vision very clear, giving myself, you know, in 2022, going to reduce my transport costs because I'm going to cycle more for all these reasons and benefits. However, at the, come the 1st of 2023, do I continue or does this become second nature to me? Or I roll back. And so that's it. Another conscious conversation you need to have of very often if there are moments where your priorities have significantly changed, it's okay to to let go of it because something else you then need to pick up and emphasize as top priority for you. But also if you decide and and if you've built that muscle memory that actually cycling to work now is a preferred mode of transport for me and this is my new stable tra- travel cost then that's absolutely fine that just becomes second nature and then your automatic brain kicks in essentially so mm. you don't need as strongly as much 
as those prompts because that just happens. So yeah, making making change stick is really actually going back to drawing board and say, yep, do I need to then end this and pick up something else or do I, this runs second nature to me. And those steps, you can apply it not just to the example I gave around cycling, but to really any that's in process because very often is, you know, making choices is one of the most difficult things. And to, to just make and emphasize the point, for me, six years ago, when I started this whole process, you know, for my clients, when we're developing a strategy for the, the next year of what they're going to focus on, they come up with lots and lots of, in fact, if you read an annual report of any company, you see 101 things that they want to do. So I went down that route of 101 things that I, I'm going to do in terms of goals, and it just epically fails. So boiled it down now to every year, I never commit to more than five things that are crystal, crystal clear and detailed out. Those five things I communicate over and over and over again to as many people <laughs> that would listen. And so it's it's quite important, you know, once you, and don't pick too many things, otherwise you, you get overburdened. I can definitely see that there are loads of applications to this. I was interested in what you were saying about making the change stick and also what you were saying about how it's kind of that diffusion of our concentration that often leads to us actually not reaching those goals. It seems like those are the two places that a lot of us are falling off when we when we start out with a goal or we uh, we're in the process of making a change. I just wonder from your experience, if you would say there are any other kind of major places that people tend to trip up anytime that a change is being made, where where do you think we struggle apart from those two areas you mentioned? So it's, it's, it's interesting. I was in a, a session today, actually, so which we were talking about on learning behaviors, old behaviors and learning new behaviors. I think no, no more evident was this than, you know, during the pandemic that we've just, and we're still in actually towards the tail end of it, but we've been going through since 2019, where we've had to, you know, even as a simple thing, as I mentioned, just going into work, um, mm. We've had to unlearn a lot of what seemed to be normal practice in, in terms of, you know, you're expected to be in an office, in a building with everybody else, you know, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. as standard, right? And I know many of us in different professions don't even do that. We do way more than that, right? But that's your official standard time. And we've really had to unlearn that and, and change to many people even dialing and starting work earlier at eight o'clock, finishing work at eight o'clock and seeing mm -hmm. that as being normal, having breaks, you know, scattered around and, and the merge between work-life balance now and being life and work all intermingled into one spaghetti bubble. So I, I think from a perspective of where people trip up is on learning learned behaviors, it's so, so difficult to do and takes time. So it's, it's whilst these models do exist, right? You need to take care of yourself in terms of appreciating that um, there are certain behaviors that do take time to get unlearned in the first instance. Mm -hmm. uh, there is work to be done there as well before even picking up um, a new goal to try and achieve. You pick up new habits, new new goals, and oftentimes you have to let go of other things along the way. I yeah, I can I can see how that would be 
something that we don't consider a lot of the time, actually. So I, I wanted to ask you, as you know, I'm a, a designer and I have a big question, which you can, of course, answer in any way you want to. But how do you, as a transformation expert and frankly, a human being, think that design can help us to improve healthcare? Yes. So d- design, design, it's, it's hugely important, hugely important. And um, it's a space that is still yet a not as understood in terms of the impact that it's having on us. And there are so many and even more growing examples, right, about how design really is influencing how we see healthcare. For example, particularly in the in the technology space, right? I've been I've been on several different projects, right, where we've worked with both the pharma- pharmaceutical industry as well as healthcare industries around creating awareness for vaccination programs prior to COVID, creating awareness for immunization programs, but also creating awareness for particularly particular clinical trials. The amount of work that goes in to designing the the campaigns to try and attract people to these is quite significant. And the decisions that are taken by a handful of people do really have a material impact on whether the clinical trial has enough participants to even go ahead, right? To be significantly important. The, the number of people, you know, who get vaccinated, for example, you know, whether that's significantly, you know, increased or not. I think the most recent example is the, and the most, one of the most famous ones, right, is the design of opt-in, opt-out for what happens, you know, when, when you pass. You opt in to having your, you know, your body used for scientific purposes and healthcare purposes, or do you opt out? Uh, and... Just simple decisions like that. Those are design choices that are made. And there's a lot of research that actually supports certain choices of just by simply switching the default option from opting out increases the number of people and the number of people who are available for clinical research following their death. And and so that's just a, a tip of the iceberg in terms of how design influences society and particularly in a healthcare setting. Just look at, you know, social media and the concept of a like. That's again the design decision that has been made by a handful of people with a very significant impact. And so the the message really about from a transformation perspective is I would only encourage even more people to be in that decision-making process when such design decisions are being made because they do have a significant impact and material impact, you know, on our way of living, on waiting lists, on choices between which patient goes first or second or third. There are people in a room who are making these choices. And so the more and more people understand the design of systems, the more and more people understand the design of either technology. It's it's really, really going to be better for society. A quick example, you know, and, and one that is very, very pertinent right now is many, as, we, as I mentioned earlier, lots of technologies are having, you know, increasing impacts, right, in the world today. Lots of AI 
technology are having even more of an impact. So so that, you know, from a health and wellness perspective, simple things around, you know, how you your meeting schedule should be, right? And AI in the background analyzes your schedule and recommends when you should take a break on or where you shouldn't take a break. Wow. Those are design decisions that are made, again, by a handful of people. They may not seem as obvious um, places to kind of pivot your career or get involved with or in, but I would highly encourage, you know, just pick a decision that really matters to you and understand the design components of that decision. That's so critical. I definitely think that more people should be aware that design is not just about how things look. It's very much about the experience that people are having. We can definitely, we can reduce friction like you're describing with opt-in and opt-out. We should always be thinking about how we can reduce friction to improve people's lives, improve people's health and reduce the barriers to actually accessing healthcare. So yeah, it's really interesting to hear your perspective on it as well. I wanted to ask you more about thinking about transformation again. What digital trends are you seeing right now that could really disrupt the way that we do healthcare? Things that we can get excited about and maybe things that we should be aware of, maybe even wary of. Certainly. So health, healthcare, there are so many different technologies out there, right, that disrupt healthcare as, as we know it, uh, from simple, relatively simple technologies that that influence, I would say, day-to-day experiences. So, you know, I, I'm involved in what was called low-code technology. And what that is, is, you know, the, the, the principle that any person can develop, you know, a technology, um, which is quite powerful because a lot of people are still using manual, like paper and pen, which, which then goes into the next technology, which I think is having a massive impact, which is AI. And, and artificial intelligence is so critical. And I, and I really encourage everybody to have at least a basic understanding. You don't need to know every single thing, but have an understanding of the basic logic of uh, an artificial intelligence technology because they are becoming so pluripotent across not just the NHS, but any healthcare system. They are being infused by default into many and again, I always emphasize on the decision aspect of that of that process. They are now involved, whether we like it or not, in certain key decisions that are happening. Uh, and, and so being aware that that's happening, but also being aware of the biases that are being introduced, right, in artificial intelligence technologies is key. One that's exciting for me, and this is more at scale, is the, the technology being blockchain and what that unlocks. So be it from a life sciences perspective in terms of how the whole end-to-end life cycle of a drug, so, you know, from the R&D through to manufacturing, through to the the patient and, and even after that as well. So that whole life cycle of is, is something that is exciting for me and, and how blockchain can un, unlock a lot of those exchanges and, ha- and handshakes that happen through that whole life cycle is quite exciting. Right. So we can kind of track, we have a record, an indelible kind of record of what's happened with that drug and track exactly the journey exactly. it's been on to the patient. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Another one is so 5G technology. It's it's interesting because so Apple yesterday had their you know 
release of the new iPhone. But one thing, particularly in the in the new Apple Watch, because Apple Watch essentially they're they're targeting it more as a health and wellness product. What's interesting is 5G and the capabilities that that unlocks. So again, for people who are into extreme sports, people who are into mountain climbing, for example, you've got 5G technologies, which is allowing you to be, you know, have the access, still have access, you know, in very remote places. Mm -hmm. So imagine what that could do for things like telehealth and telemedicine and your is that unlocks for people in in rural areas, for example. Mm, That's incredible. Uh, Very linked to that is, again, satellite communications, right, where these satellite kind of chips are being now involved and embedded into mobile devices. Again, you know, that unlocks a significant amount of potential in terms of access to basic healthcare. So that that's really quite exciting. I, I I really feel that, you know, with all these technologies, fundamentally one of the things to keep in mind, right, and really makes me nervous is the gap in knowledge between those who are tech literate and tech illiterate. Yeah. So if you believe in the principle that, you know, technology is transforming healthcare, um, and if you believe in the principle that, you know, technology is being, you know, even more embedded and even more if a part and parcel of healthcare and how we provide healthcare services, the number of people who understand relative to the number of people who don't understand the technologies, that gap is increasing. And so, and even at the very basic level as well. So the more we can, you know, expand access to knowledge, the importance, you know, would definitely not go unnoticed. It's in line with what you're saying about more people being involved in these design decisions. And if only a few people have that access to that knowledge, only a few people will be able to make that decision, right? So we need to open open up those doors and, and get involved. I'm aware that you've worked on an AI project called Dark Matter which helps people whose job it is to, you know, their jobs are dedicated to finding new ideas and this technology is helping them to find insights on the web. What did this experience essentially teach you about where good ideas come from? Yeah, no, it's, it's the dark, dark matters are one of my, one of my babies, I would say. Really, really loved the project. And in that project, you know, I genuinely, so two things, first of all is, when you work with brilliant people, it's exciting. And when you work on to solve a problem that is so pertinent, it's even more exciting as well. So Dark Matter was a project where I, I was lucky to be working with brilliant people, but also solving a very, very, very important challenge. And that challenge was the one of, you know, particularly how do you find and how do you find out things that you don't know? So the unknown, the context being we live in a world now where we are essentially reinforcing what we already know. So take, for example, if you live in the UK and you want to find out information about the, the, you know, the royal family, for example, very very often people are going to go to Google and and do a quick Google search. The information you get fed back is different based on whether you live in the UK versus in the US versus in Australia. It's also based on your search history and your search patterns and so much more information about what Google knows about you from not just Google, but any other, as you say, platforms as well. So 
ultimately the information you're getting is so tailored to you. And in fact, you know, your results will be different to my results. Um, so it's quite difficult to, you know, do research on a clean slate, essentially, where a lot of researchers do use Google and a lot of the results they get is linked particularly to, you know, what, what they're searching for. And so that's what the challenge Dark Matter was looking to address. And, and the clientele that we, we work with, you know, from defense organizations through to healthcare organizations through to consumer goods, and where people who are looking for, you know, and trying to do research, particularly on areas that they may not have known. That's it. I, it makes sense why you've called it dark matter. Then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good name. Yeah. So where, where do you think people who aren't working in innovation specifically or who are not for a living looking for insights all of the time, where do you think they can look to find good ideas? So finding good ideas is, is in my opinion, Finding ideas, first of all, and then we'll break into good ideas. So finding ideas is not difficult, right? There are, so that, you know, if you, if you believe in empathy to, and, and by empathizing with a particular use, you know, person, for example, you know, take any challenge, go on social media. And really, if you try and understand, you know, how, are, how is that challenge being reflected in the social sphere, speaking to colleagues, trying to understand their pains, very often you find ideas on how to address those challenges. Finding good ideas is difficult because that essentially involves filtering through a lot of ideas um, to the nuggets that would actually have a material change or impact towards the person you're trying to solve a problem for. So that process of filtration and as that actually links to the early elements around change. If you're unable to make a change in, in the person, given everything else that's going on in their life, no matter how good the idea, no matter how the idea, what the idea is, is never going to be a good idea. Finding a great idea, even more difficult because that means that, you know, because ideas from, in my perspective, are solutions to a challenge. And so to find an idea that would go into the automatic mode for any user where they don't even have to, they, they, they see a solution and it solves their problem, but in such a simple yet effective way, those are, 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 are gold dust. I like the way that you've divided this up because I don't know that there are, or there probably is a framework for deciding whether an idea or you've got an idea, is it good? Is it great? There, maybe there's something like that, but I've never heard it described in the way that you have. So that's really great. Yeah, no, there, there, there certainly is, and there are frameworks mm -hmm. for taking ideas and, and following it, funneling it into, you know, good ideas, I would say. So yeah. those if you search for innovation funnels, for example, there are def definitely different frameworks out there. But to get to the real gems, yeah, those are <laughs> yeah. Those make it a different le level. 
Okay, so there's the, therein lies the challenge. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. I have just one question left, which I, I like to ask all of my guests who come on the podcast. I would love to know from you, what do you think healthcare professionals should be learning in school, in university? So medical school, dental school, whatever training that they're, they're undergoing, what do you think that they should be learning there if they want to see a change in healthcare? Yeah, so, okay, that's no, a good, good question. And I, I guess my, my answer is probably going to be biased, right? So that's in- good. <laughs> you want your perspective, so, yeah. In terms of, you know, if every single healthcare professional in the UK, for example, can pick up a module on technology mm. or data, technology in particular that would be great again because a lot of what we do a lot of how our how patients actually interact and a lot of how they expect interactions to be so a lot of the expectations of users of healthcare services a lot of that is technology enabled so that's in my opinion is something that should be you know included in every single curricular rather than being optional and if it's optional definitely should be a top candidate that you would pick yeah i think that's great and we can we can hopefully have more doctors and dentists healthcare professionals involved in those design decisions that are being made on a daily basis so very much agree with that thank you so much for your time today this has been wonderful no, thank you so much. And again, you know, really proud of the podcast and yeah, wish you very much success with it as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. I always get so much from my conversations with Chike, so I hope it was useful for you too. And I would love to hear about the changes you want to make in your life and your career and how you see yourself applying Chike's advice. You can follow Chike on LinkedIn to learn more about digital trends and his work in transformation. So follow the link in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe. And if you can think of someone else who would benefit from hearing this, why not share the episode? I really appreciate your feedback. So please leave a rating and review because it also helps other people to discover the podcast. And you can follow me on Instagram at rollacare.so that's r-o-l-a-k-e dot s-o and i'll be back soon with another episode of brand new doctor